going to be a good one. How is it going everybody? Welcome back to the channel. Today we are going to be meeting up with a friend of mine named Rob. He's got a C7 ZR1. I was really hoping that we would be able to cruise around in his car to create some content. It is just a little bit too cold. It's in the mid 30s. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, a little bit too cold. The tires just don't hook up and it gets a little we'll say reckless whenever you have high horsepower cars and cold pavement, which actually works out well. Initially, I was gonna drive my C6 ZR1 here, but I have not had a chance to wash it. And quite frankly, not really sure if my ankle is up to pushing on that clutch just yet. So what we are going to be driving in today is my new TRX. Yeah, I gotta say, I do love this truck. I bought it a couple of months ago, put some forge line wheels on it and tent, and that is about it. That is all I think I'm going to do to this truck because quite frankly, don't really need to do much else to it. Oh, damn, it is cold today. Jeez, all right. Mm, okay. Yeah. It's going to be a good one. All right, so the story behind this TRX that I'm driving today. I've had my eye on TRXs for quite some time. Actually also was contemplating getting a Raptor R. Nailed it down, found a nice Raptor R from a dealership that my brother works at. They had one ordered, it was coming in. Problem was it, it wasn't the right color. And for those of you that know me, you can guess what color it needed to be. That's silver because all of my vehicles have been in grayscale over the years. Well, maybe not. There's a few that I had. I had an orange blazer, which was a pretty wild ride. It was an 84 S10 blazer with a tune port 350, 700R4 transmission. That was actually a lot of damn fun. And then I've had some blues, but mainly a lot of whites, blacks, and silvers over the years. In any event, the Raptor R wasn't the right color, and whenever I started seeking out other Raptor Rs, all the dealerships wanted crazy markups on them, and I just don't really have any interest in paying above MSRP for a truck. And so I started really searching for a TRX. Silver TRXs are pretty damn rare, actually, in, in my research and trying to find one. I, I did find a couple of Lunar Editions, but again, the dealerships wanted a crazy-ass markup. Man, I gotta say, it's just such a pain trying to deal with dealerships, especially when they have a vehicle that they think 
they can mark up and and well quite frankly screw you on the pricing it's pretty damn frustrating so i found this truck in michigan it was listed on ebay and reached out to the dealer made a pretty good deal on it had it shipped out-of-state registration is kind of a pain but man i gotta say i am in love with this truck every single day i jump in it hit the start button and just have smiles on my face for the entire duration of the trip I haven't done much to it in terms of modifications. A lot of people have been encouraging me to do different things. I do have some theft deterrent systems and tracking devices and things like that for obvious reasons. These tend to get stolen quite a bit. And so out of an abundance of caution, I've gone overkill on it. And then tinted the windows, got some custom plates, and picked up some forge line wheels for it. Shout out to Tony Watley. He has hooked me up with some forged wheels for uh, quite a few of my vehicles over the years and always delivers. I, I don't, the wheels that are on here, they're called FX1 Beadluck, Beadluck, something like that. And <clears throat> that's, you know, I gotta say, with these forge lines, they are such a lightweight wheel and they just look sexy especially on this truck i went with the brushed aluminum centers and then a satin ring with the forge line letters etched into the ring and it is just a clean smooth look it turned out perfect okay Yeah, it's a shame we couldn't bring the cars. You know, better safe than sorry. Uh, so those tires um, are really soft. Yeah. And um, they become hard uh, hockey pucks anywhere below 40. Actually, <laughs> below 50. Yeah. And uh, I just, I had visions of me sliding off a of 45 into the sidewall. And that's, nah, I don't think so. No, no. If we were doing this this afternoon, and we would have been all right. But yeah. <clears throat> we'll do it again. For sure. Yeah, and it actually worked out well because it's been so cold, I haven't had a chance to, to wash mine. Yeah. And I haven't really driven it. It's, it probably well since I broke my ankle. With yeah, that clutch. It's actually coming really nice. It's uh, about a month or so ago is the first time I was able to go to the gym and squat and do anything leg related. Yeah. And I think I did three sets of 10 with like 95 pounds something like that sorry right. yeah exactly but what was a little bit uh, i don't know i had mixed feelings about it because i was wrecked for days just doing just that little bit after not being able to do anything legs for so long so yeah i started doing some step ups and lunges and just stuff like that the atrophy happens really quickly you don't you know you work your tail off in the gym you try to eat right you try to moderate your alcohol consumption mm -hmm. and then um, all of a sudden you know if you stop or alter your lifestyle <clears throat> you realize that it takes about half the time for you to fall back out of a good routine than it takes you to get to a good level yeah you know all that hard work it, I mean I when I was training people 
they would say, ah, Rob, I'm working my tail off. It's been weeks. I don't see anything. So it's coming. You just got to wait. <laughs> you, you yep. know, it's kind of like your child at Christmas <clears throat> opening gifts. They see all the gifts, right? <laughs> and, and they're like, well, I want to open. No, you got to wait. Yeah. But by the same token, the wait is not as long when you stop. It, it happens more more quickly. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's there's a lesson in that, in that uh, consistency over intensity, right? When you do something... And I was actually just talking about this the other day. I was recording an episode how you can go to the gym and, and work your butt off for two hours straight and then go home. You wake up the next day. You're not going to see anything different. Nope. You could do that for a week straight. You're yeah. not going to see anything different. But actually, if you go for 30, 40 minutes a day, five days a week for a year, I guarantee you, you will start to see results. You will start to feel differently and better. It's, uh, I, I refer to it as hygiene. So, you know... You just, every day, most people get out of bed, and they brush their teeth, shower, comb their hair. That, that's just part of a routine. And if you stop that routine, there, there's profound implications. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the same is to be said for, you know, weight loss and, and health regimens. I mean, I, over the years, people would say, yeah, it's a new year, so I'm going to go on a, into a new diet. And I said, okay, well... Tell me how this you your what are your goals and what what do you think is going to be different this go around? Yeah, because you know, I think a lot of people look at this as a one and done. It's not. It's cyclical in nature. It's perpetual in nature. And if you're not committed to it as a daily part of your regimen, it you're not going to see the goals in it that you want to see on it. Well, it's extremely challenging to change our habits and routines and I think one one thing that that actually comes to mind is what was it back in, in Vietnam uh, like 10% of our soldiers had uh, were using heroin mm. and so they were worried about them coming back and having this massive heroin uh, issue yeah. and what they realized is when they came back they didn't really I'm sure there were some people that stayed on it, but they right. didn't have as bad of an issue. Where when you look at rehab facilities, the inverse is actually true. Nine, all the people that go in, and whenever you get clean, you go back into the same environment, yeah. and 90% of the people end up relapsing. And I think that speaks to the environment that we are in, and the power that that has on who we are, our habits, our routines. Yeah. And, and so sometimes changing your environment, you hear all these stories about people that will pick up and, and move out of the town they grew up in, yeah. and it completely changes their life. I think a lot of it too is you have to have trust, but you also have to be um, willing to um, combat your fears. So I'll give you an example. Many, many years ago, I was a runner, not because I wanted to be, but because it was the best way for me to uh, be able to eat the foods that I wanted and not put on weight. And and so I would see people working out at the gym and they had a lot of muscle content. And all of a sudden, this one guy that I, I kept seeing regularly at the gym happened to be on my train stop. So uh, I struck up a conversation or two with him and I said, you know, how do you, do you build muscle like that? And, he said, well, it, obviously uh, it's, it's a combination of lifting weights, lifting the right weights the right way at the right time with the right intervals. You know, diet is incredibly important. And uh, I said, would you be willing to give me some tips and pointers? And he said, yeah, I will. He said, but you have to listen. You have to trust me. Yeah. And so it was interesting because I would run 
on a treadmill 10 miles and I could do 10 miles in 60 minutes on the Ooh. treadmill. And that was my, my, my workout for the day. Yeah. And he said, okay, I need you to stop running 10 miles a day uh, on a treadmill. Yeah. And I was like, well, why? I, and he said, because you're not going to be able to put on muscle mass. I said, yeah, but I'm going to get fat. <laughs> and, and he says, it, it, you can't just put on muscle. Yeah. You're going to put on muscle, <laughs> and you're going to put on fat, and you're going to retain water. Yep. And it's okay. Yeah. I will work with you. And so I had to trust this person that I essentially just met. Yeah. And I had to combat my fear of, oh, my God, I'm going to bloat. I won't be able to fit into my pants. I won't be able to to uh, you know wear the clothes that I like and I will tell you I did gain weight uh -huh. I gained a lot of weight yeah but, but, <laughs> but I I gained a lot of muscle too yeah and it, it didn't happen overnight like I said you know you I kept getting on the scale I kept looking in the mirror I'm thinking ah, nothing, this isn't working yeah. I'm just gonna go back to running again but you I had to stay the course and he kept telling me trust the plan yeah you know and I trusted the plan and it paid off and all of a sudden within the course of about a six month period my body transformed into what he referred to as a runner shell to a bodybuilder shell yeah. and it was really all of a sudden you woke up one day and you looked in the mirror and you said oh my god look at that yeah. you know my, my arms which were 15 inches at the time now uh -huh. are 17 two inches of gain in six months yeah. is a lot it is now I'm curious, what was it about him yep. that made you trust him so quickly? Because I mean, you you, you yep. didn't really know him, right? right? You, presumably he looked great, yep. looked like a bodybuilder. But yep. beyond that, yep. what made you trust him and you be willing to actually shift your whole lifestyle yep. and workout routine yep. to achieve that? It's a great question. Uh, so, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but uh, he, I would see him at many places. I would see him at the gym. I would see him daily and in the afternoon on my train heading out of downtown Chicago. Uh, he, I would see him at cars and coffee events. So he would pull up his Corvette and he would park right next to mine. And so I had all these conversations about life. So there was a connection between yeah. us. There was a connection with cars. Then we started talking about our families. We ended up taking our wives to dinner. We connected on a human level. And, and I think that's the most important thing in life is connecting on a human level. Because look, maybe I'm looking to find trust in someone that can help me to achieve my fitness goals. Yeah. Or maybe I'm looking to find trust in someone that can help me with some academic goals. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say I wanted to learn how to program um, you know, software. Yep. Having not done much of that, I would need to know that there's someone that has done it and it's someone that I trust. And uh, yeah, so that's why I picked him. And it, it worked out really, really well. Um, we maintained contact over the years. Yeah. Our children grew up. Um, you know, he moved to California. Uh, he, he was in the construction field, um, so he's still out in California. Uh, of course, I'm in Texas now, and I've known him for 20 years. Now he would be horrified if he saw what I look like now. <laughs> but you know, that's the older you get, the harder it is to yep. to to maintain that level. But more importantly, uh, your body just shifts and changes, and. You know, what I've learned in life is everything in life shifts and changes and you have to be ready to shift and change with it. 
because resistance is futile. If you look at, we, this is, we're bouncing all over the place, but we put in a wood floor, or I should say a, 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 a bamboo type flooring uh, in our upstairs, okay. in, our brand, in our house. And the boards are very rigid. And so when you walk across them, if the floor isn't properly leveled, you'll feel give. Mm -hmm. And we never experienced that at our old house. And so again, another person I trust who, who does flooring and you know carpentry, he said, yeah, Rob, the, the, what you have here is you have a very rigid board. The board you had at your old house that we put in for you had flexibility and rigidity, and not, they weren't as rigid, rigid as what you have now. And so, of course, when you have something that's rigid and you go to bend it, it breaks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You, you know, what's so interesting about that is as I've gone through various seasons of my life and th this year, so I'm 42, and as you know, I broke my ankle and the, the mental anguish that I went through being stuck at the couch, stuck at I home know. with my foot up on the couch and not being able to work out because I mean, fitness is a big part of yeah. my life. And the first few weeks I was in a really good headspace thinking, you know what, this is life. The universe is trying to tell me something and I'm gonna roll with it. I'm gonna make the most of it and I'm gonna learn. Okay, well fast forward to week three, I started thinking, okay, this isn't, this isn't all that great. And then week four was finally the time for the surgery. And I was getting to where I could actually hobble around the house relatively well. And then two days before the surgery, it hit me. It's like, man, I'm finally able to kind of walk a little bit and I'm about to be down for the count again. Yeah. Now the surgery, it was needed. There was a lot of reconstruction that the surgeon did. He did a phenomenal job with all of it. But after the surgery, I was laid up for another two months. And he said, I, we have to control swelling with elevation. Don't use a whole lot of ice. Don't use ibuprofen. I mean, it did yeah. for a little while. But ultimately, is we had to control it with elevation. And when he said, I need your foot elevated higher than your head for 23 hours a day, said okay you're a great surgeon but are you good at math because that does not seem possible and he's like i know it's going to be tough but this is what you've got to do oh man it it definitely took its toll on me i wasn't creating near as much content i don't know if you noticed that or not yeah. but i went through a stint where i, I kind of reverted into my shell and i had to sit for months and watch my body erode in front of me and i realized that I had unintentionally tied a lot of my self-worth into my appearance and my physique. And eventually, I realized that, you know what, this is, again, the universe's way of telling me that there's so much more to me than my physique and my appearance. And so I started, I started reading a lot and, as you know, started WSS and I had to learn how to sell. So I started following a content creator named Alex Hormozzi. He talks a lot about starting businesses and generating leads and sales and things like that. And so I, I shifted my energy and focus into consuming content and reading and learning that helped pull me out of that dark place. And then there was also a lot of people in my life that were reaching out with encouraging words. You know, I'm here for you if you need anything. 
but man i don't know rob if you've ever been in a dark place like that but sometimes yeah. it doesn't matter who reaches out to you you just need time to process it yeah. and the key is recognizing that you're in that dark place and being willing to say okay well this is a season of my life i'm gonna have to move through it i can't stay here forever i've got to move through it i think the most important thing that you that you said there is it's a season which means that it will change. Um, I think most everyone has been in a dark place at some point in, in their lives. Uh, I would submit to you that when you look at people, to your point, you see a veneer of them. And so you see them dressed well, you see them um, in good health, you see them driving a nice car, you see them in a nice home, and you naturally would conclude, oh yeah, they're just a very successful, happy human being. Yeah. Um, but we all reach the valley of despair at some point or another. It's how we get out of that valley of despair uh, and, and how quickly we can get out of it. Um, you know, I, I think back to when I was, um, I, I had uh, contracted COVID. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. So initially it hit me right the week before uh, Labor Day a couple years ago. And I thought, ah, you know, this is a... It's a weekend thing. I have a three-day weekend coming up. I'll I'll feel better. I'll just rest yeah. and sleep it off, and I'll be back ready to go Tuesday. Hmm. Tuesday came, and I was still really sick. I didn't feel right. I didn't feel really, really sick, but I, I didn't feel right. And then I said, okay, well, short week. I'll get through it. And so how it all kind of transpired is by the end of the second week, I started to lose my voice and ability to communicate. And... I thought, gosh, this is weird. So I ended up going into the um, ER and they said, oh yeah, you, you have COVID and we've got to admit you, it's pretty serious. You have double pneumonia, uh, your oxygen levels are in the 70s, where we're worried about your organs shutting down. So here I am, I'm sitting there all by myself with all these negative thoughts. And um, I was actually, they admitted me and I was actually writing thank you and goodbye letters to people that meant the world to me on my iPhone and then I had them triggered to send like a few weeks later uh, in the event I was unable to send them. Yeah. Because I'm always thinking and trying to be prepared for, you know, whatever life throws at you. Yeah. Well, the good news is, is I made it out. Yeah. But my recovery has, has been a long and challenging recovery uh, over, the, over the years now. But I remember... My wife had to, my son had a soccer game and my wife had to drop me off and then I had to have someone help me walk to the soccer field, which was maybe 500 feet away. I just could, I couldn't even take steps that far, I would get winded. And some of my team members, who I've known since I've been in Houston, came to my son's soccer game and they helped me. And I said, I feel helpless. And I said, uh, my job is to take care of you. I'm your leader, yet you're taking care of me. And he, he, he said to me, everyone needs help. Yeah. Take the help. And we're here for you. Yeah. And that was really moving because you know that's what life is about. I mean, this is a guy that I did not know. I moved here. I knew no one. Yeah. I moved here for a job opportunity. Mm -hmm. And 
he and I were uh, <laughs> on the completely other end of the spectrum with one another for those years that I started. Yeah. We did not get along well. We were very combative about approaches. He was the technical guy. I was more of the business guy. And so he always came forward with a technical solution. Mm -hmm. I always came forward with a business solution. The technical mm -hmm. solution doesn't always align with the business no. solution, you know? So, you know, for instance, we're in a, a fantastic truck. This probably wouldn't be the ideal truck for a guy hauling lumber every day. No. You know, uh, he would want a different truck. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because I've known that that person for 12 years now. Yeah. That person has celebrated milestones in my family's life. Um, I've celebrated milestones in his family's life. He's worked with me three times in 12 years. He's working with me today. Um, and people say, well, Rob, you know, as a leader, don't you worry about getting too close with your people? I said, never. I, I want to get as close as they'll allow me to. I, I said, because I promise you, he will walk into my office and tell me, I have no idea what you're thinking here, but you're off base. And by the same token, if he steps in it, he knows I will hold him accountable. Yep. And we hold each other accountable. And I think that's the... What, what is different now for me, the older I get, I have a, a deeper appreciation for my relationships and my leadership style has evolved to, to one where I, I truly see myself as an equal with other people. I don't yeah. see my, because of my title, I don't care what my title is. Uh, we, we check our titles and egos at a, at a door. Yep. And you know, so you know, back to your point about being in that valley, I think we've all been in that valley. I think what you have to recognize is A, that you're in the valley. B, it's okay to be in the valley. C, give yourself a little bit of time to process what's going on. But at some point, you have to have a line of demarcation where you are gonna stop the pity party, for lack of a better word, and you're gonna get back on your feet, and you're gonna get back to who you are. And then the last piece is, you aren't gonna do it alone, most likely. You need a support system and the people that have seen you as successful as you are are the same people that have seen you fail and they will be there to help you along the way to see you succeed once again that's so powerful and one of the things that I have come to realize over the years of, of growing into leadership roles is uh, how important it is to have those people on your team yeah one of the things that I always like to share with people on my team, especially when we're hiring new people, is that good ideas went over hierarchy every single day of the week. Titles, I'm not gonna say they, they don't mean anything. <laughs> Titles are important, structure is important, chain of command is important. However, it's how the leader views themselves in relation to the people on the team. Because I am well aware that if I walk into a room and have a conversation with Crystal, she knows a lot more about business operations and supply chain and forecasting than I do. Yeah. So when she speaks, I'm listening. I'm learning as much as possible from her. And if I walk into a room with Jonathan, he is now the expert in the technology realm. Jonathan and I worked together for many, many years. And, but as I've grown, I've become 
more distant from the the minutia of the technology and the configurations and things like yeah, that. Sure. Whereas he has grown into being that expert. Yeah. And I also have had purview over multiple domains and so it's difficult to say well i i can go as deep as you want in every single topic because there's only so much room up yeah. here so we've got to trust those people on our team and and welcome them in and say okay well if this decision ultimately jonathan is going to be yours ultimately crystal is going to be yours and there's group accountability like if if they make a mistake then i have to hold them accountable if i make a mistake i need them to hold me accountable yeah, you know, I, I think about my, the earlier stages of my career when I was an individual contributor, and um, I worked for a man who told me what to do, how to do it, and when to have it done by him. Yeah. And that was very traditional command and control style leadership. Yeah. And so I remember one day, um, every now and again, my sense of humor uh, isn't maybe appreciated or understood. And so he asked me, he said, okay, I want you to do this, I want you to do it this way, and I want to have you to have it done by this date. Do you have any questions? And I said, yeah, why are you asking me if I have any questions? You've given me no margin to make up my mind. <laughs> and he basically looked at me and said, just get out of my office and go do what I asked you to. And I did. Mm. And I thought to myself, that's leadership. Uh, at the time? At the time, yeah. yeah. So go back 30 years ago now. Yeah. And I will tell you, I've never forgotten that day. And so, fast forward to this past week, I had a member of my team who I consider a subject matter expert, three layers below me. And we're uh, we're working on a real challenging project. Uh, it'll be a foundational program for the company for years to come, for our clients. Uh, and, and it's been challenging for us, as most big programs are. Yeah. And so, this is an individual that I have a weekly touch point with, and he's almost always on camera. Um, but he wasn't on camera this time, and I, you know, I thought it was a little in, odd, but I, I didn't pay much attention to it. And we were getting into a really deep discussion, because I, I basically said to him, hey, I need your advice. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want your input on, I, I'm thinking we have a couple options, we could go left, we could go right. I'm leaning towards going right, and, and he, he said, okay, Rob, I'm gonna put my camera on now, but I want you to know I'm not dressed for work. In fact, I'm teaching a spin class in an hour, so yeah. I'm I, I'm ready for that spin class. I said, we're all good here. Yeah. One of the best parts of our culture at Jack Henry is that we can be humans outside of work. Okay, test, test, all right. Okay, let's see if this works now. <laughs> we are not having good luck on this. Jeez. All right, as a leader. Yeah, so as a leader, um, invariably you come to the crossroad of am I the smartest person in the room? Mm -hmm. And do I have to be the smartest person in the room? Am I expected to be the smartest person in the room? Or is it all right for me not to be the smartest person in the room and surround myself with some really smart people yeah. that are going to help us collectively be better mm -hmm. um, and ultimately allow us to achieve our goals and objectives faster? And 
who knows? I mean, I wasn't in that room, but kudos to you for watching the body language. Yeah. Be- because that, there's a lot to be said with yeah. in-verbal communica- uh, un- uh, in communication. The other aspect, too, is you have to accept it, embrace it for what it is. Yeah. Um, and maybe that at the, wasn't the right fit or wasn't the right fit at the right time. And the, the good news is there's so many right fits and you, you just got to be receptive to them. But also sometimes the right fits don't aren't always immediately obvious to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how many times do you go out looking for a solution and then all of a sudden you, you kind of find a makeshift solution? Yeah, that might work. And all of a sudden you stumble across what you were looking for. So a great example is we all have a toolbox at home. And you, you're looking for a special tool. You, you, you thought you had one. You, you can't find it. So you go to Home Depot, and they don't quite have what you want. But you buy something, and it'll work, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, a month later, you open the toolbox, and there's the tool you were looking at <laughs> for, you know, three months ago. Yeah. So. Well, I'm but, glad to hear your, that things are, are going. In the, I think one of the hardest things to do um, is to start up a business. There's a lot of risk. Yeah. There's a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I've I've tried to focus on over the past few years is knowing that this was inevitable for me was trying to determine what is the best way to mitigate this risk. Mm-hmm. And obviously leading technology and other domains for publicly traded organizations, mitigation of risk is... Uh, there are skills around that that you can build and develop and so I kind of I put a game plan together and started saving and saving and started building a brand and reputation for myself through the podcast and the content that I was creating with the intent knowing that at some point I was going to step out on my own and be able to hopefully parlay that that trust and brand and reputation that I had built for myself into one of my company and the team that I'm that I'm working with. And some of the people that are, are coming over and working for me now actually have worked for me in the past. To your yeah. point, I've had a number of people that have kind of followed me different places over the years, and it's so important to, to maintain those relationships and trust. But yeah, it is it is something that that's still on my mind and Historically, we've just had 1099 contractors, so there's even less risk. Well, on January 1, there's going to be three of us that are W-2s. And (laughs) in the past, it was, okay, if you work, I invoice and I pay you. Yeah. Cool. Now, it's, okay, I pay you whether we have work or not, so we have all got to come together to make sure that the revenue's there. And, And I'm comfortable and confident that it is. But that was the first moment when we started extending offers and getting uh, health insurance set up. That was the moment that I recognized the gravity of the situation because people leaving their full-time employer to come work for us, one, I appreciated how much confidence they had in me and what our mission and vision is because we're all very aligned on that. But at the same time, I do not take that lightly at all. You can't. I mean, we're talking about people's livelihood. Yeah, and, and so and their it, trust in you. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's interesting. Uh, again, I go back to the earlier stages of my career. Um, I worked um, for small family-owned 
business that sold cash registers. Mm. And this was at a point in time where the cash registers were becoming electronic and were connected. Um, and the, the beauty of that for a, a business operator, it could be a restaurant, a convenience store, a department store, a grocery store, was that they could tally up all of their multiple cash registers and do some data analytics. Mm-hmm. And we didn't call it data analytics 30 years ago, but it, you know, to be able to see, um, you know, does the Gala apple sell more than the green apple? Mm-hmm. And, and does it sell more than the green apple only in specific times of year? And, and that was really the first opportunity 30 years ago for, for that owner operator to have some real data on their on their business so they could course correct yep. so that they could you know uh, manage the business to, uh, to and drive the outcomes for, for those that they serve but being in a small business an entrepreneurial business it's exhilarating mm-hmm. but it's also terrifying it's kind of like that, ro- <laughs> that that steel roller coaster where you have this harness that comes yep. over you and you know you you know you're probably not gonna fall out of the roller coaster but the possibility it sure feels like you will as you're going under you know yeah. in these loops well as my career evolved i i felt i needed structure i needed uh com- governance and and i worked in regulated industries for the first time and that was really hard because in the entrepreneurial spirit in many cases provides you with flexibility to be able to do things that other companies cannot. So in your instance, I think that you have speed and agility to do things that bigger companies that do something similar to what you do yeah. cannot or will not do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but here's here's the interesting thing. You know, when you work in regulated industries and oftentimes they're publicly traded companies, now the game changes again. And what changes is you're no longer the owner of your company. Stockholders are. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting. I had a conversation with someone that left our company after 17 years. Um, so I, I um, seek what I call a departing conversation with people when they leave our business unit. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because it doesn't matter what your role is, what you you know, how far uh, up the ladder or down the ladder you are. I just want to say thank you and wish you luck. But the person oftentimes doesn't know what the purpose is. So sometimes they come there with a narrative prepared to tell me all the things that are broken and why they're leaving the company. Or sometimes they um, think that I'm there to criticize their decision. I'm not. It's not my business. What yeah. they, That's their business. But anyhow, I met with this uh, gentleman been with us for 17 years and he said um, I thanked him I wished him luck and he had a narrative ready for me so his narrative was Rob I've been here 17 years and this company is changing I said okay I would agree I would also submit to you that companies have to change and evolve because the circumstances that surround us are changing and evolving faster than they've ever than they ever have. And if we don't stay one step ahead of it, we get left in the dust. So we have to evolve. But give me an illustration of why you feel this company has changed and specifically an an illustration of change that isn't sitting well with you. So he shared that he felt that we were focusing 
on investor return over employees. And um, had they gone from private to public? No. Oh. So we were we were public co- uh, company for years. Okay. Have been for years. Got it. And his his feedback to me was that we've made some decisions that did not. Uh, that, that in his mind adversely affected his benefits, uh, perhaps his compensation to some degree. And I said, okay, I we have. Uh, I, I'm not going to dispute that. So first, first lesson: don't look your people in the eyes and tell them it's raining um, when it's actually not rain; it's snow. Okay. Uh, t- if they tell you it's snowing, acknowledge it's snowing. As a leader, that gives you some credibility that you're not there to pull the wool over their eyes. Yeah. I said, but let's talk about why we're making these decisions. At the end of the day, the there's a lot of headwinds in our industry with the economy, a lot of uncertainty still with supply chain. So we are trying to manage our business to the best of our ability, being a very conservative. What that means is we're not wanting to grow too fast. The worst thing we could do to someone is bring them on board and then have to course correct right away and let them go. Yeah. I have had to do that before at other companies. It's horrible because to your point, these people trust you. They've come to work with you because they trust you. They've taken on a level of risk. They've left a, a, a job that maybe wasn't perfect but paid the bills, put food on the table. One of the hardest days of your life is going to will be to look them in the eye and say, hey, I'm sorry, Uh, we didn't grow as we thought. I have to let you go. Um, So here's where where the story got really interesting. So I said, give me an example of a company that you admire. And he mentions General Electric. And I said, it's interesting that you said that you shared GE. What about GE do you think uh, stands out? He said, well, he said, they used to offer a dividend. They don't offer a dividend because they felt it was better to take that money, those monies from a dividend payout and reinvest them into the company. I said, okay. And I, and he says, you know, Rob, we pay a dividend. I do. And that's very attractive for people that are investing. Remember, those are the people that really own the company. Yep. We are stewards of the company on behalf of them, right? Yeah. And, and so... I said, but since you brought up GE, let's talk about GE. Are you familiar with how they manage human capital? I think so. I said, so then you're aware that every year leaders are expected to do a talent review where there's the top 10% and there's the bottom 10%. The top 10% are heavily incentivized to prevent them leaving the company. Unfortunately, the bottom 10% are exited. No questions asked, part of the annual routine. And he said, well, some of those people probably should be exited. No doubt. Again, acknowledge the, the truth in a statement. I said, however, how many of those people are solid individual contributors, but simply someone has to be on the top and someone has to be on the bottom. And now that person has lost their job because they just happen to be in the bottom 10%. They're not bad people. I, I, I refer to those people as steady steady eddies. 
you need steady eddies to run a business. People that will come in every day, consistently, reliably, do the job. They don't have maybe any career aspirations to grow beyond what they're doing. That's okay. But if that person happens to be on the bottom end of your value proposition and you have to exit them, I don't know that I want to be a part of a culture that way. And it was a really good conversation between two people because we both opened ourselves up to learn. Yeah. I was sharing what I see. He was sharing what he sees. Now, he's, he left the company. Um, and, um, you know, I expect he might be back. And I'll tell you why. We have so many boomerang hires. Why? Because we treat people right. We have solid culture, good values. And once people leave and they see how other companies are run, they recognize oftentimes it maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought. So I'll tie it all together. Perspective is everything. Yeah. How many times are you in that valley of despair that we talked about earlier and you think it's the worst moment in your life? Maybe it's not the worst. It's bad, but it's not as bad as you think. Yeah. There is a ray of sunlight on every dark, gray, cloudy day. You just got to look for it. That's one of the things that I love talking to people about is there's always a silver lining. And sometimes you think, no, there's not. But I promise you, <laughs> there, is. there is. You just have to seek it. And yeah. what you seek, you will find. So it's all about mindset yes. and perspective. And to pull it back to what we were talking about earlier, as far as how quickly you can rebound from that dark place, if you find yourself in that dark place and you are surrounded with others that also operate with a pessimistic outlook and are always in that dark place, it's going to be challenging for you to ever get out. Whereas if you start focusing on spending time and surrounding yourself with individuals that are always optimistic, and there have been times when people have called me the eternal optimist, (laughs) and and yes, I tried my best to always look at the bright side of things. And, and there's a, a, a YouTube clip of Jocko Willink. And I think the title of it is called Good. And he, he talks about how every time some guys on his team would, would come in and, well, we didn't get the gear we wanted. Da, 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 and he, said, he would just say good. And every single time that was his response. And then one day a guy comes in and says, well, I already know what you're going to say. And Jocko said, well, what am I going to say? He said, you're going to say good. And he's like, well, yeah, we didn't get the gear we wanted. Cool. We've got more time to practice and get better. And it's all about your mindset and surrounding yourself. And I think that's one of the reasons that people are so willing and excited to come work with us because they want to be a part of that. They want to be a part of something that's going to have a positive impact on people's lives and grow. And it's going to be tremendous uh, opportunities for them as well. And it's just, it's all about the culture that we create. And And I commend you on the culture that you've created there for your team at Jack Henry. And I actually want to dive into this a little bit deeper because one of the things that I have noticed especially in large organizations is people can think, oh, well, the company's toxic. Okay, well, fair. But what I have seen is strong leaders can actually shift that toxic culture by leading by example. And what they do is they create a a pocket of excellence within their team. They create an environment where the people on their team are 
in a good mood. The people on their team are always high performing and that begins to permeate through the organization. Yeah. Now, how far that permeation occurs, uh, I mean, that's that's very complex and time consuming to kind of figure out, but there, and there will always be pockets where certain leaders in the organization, they are just slave drivers. They, I don't care what you think. I'm paying you to do a job. You do your job. You can't really affect them. Right. You can't shift their heads, their mindset easily. It can be done. You can break through to leaders, but it's, it's just very challenging. So I guess my question to you is, have you encountered that where you're operating, you have a great team, and you're able to get that positive mindset and culture that you built within your team to start permeating through the organization? Yeah, so my team and I have a really strong relationship, uh, and there's hundreds of people uh, in our organization, um, in our part of the business. But the one thing that... Um, we talk about routinely as a, as a group of leaders and what I call my extended leadership team, which are the directs of my directs, essentially, is this. We can't control other people. What we can control is how we respond to other people. And so we have a code of conduct within our team. We are going to operate always with the best of intentions. Mm -hmm. We are also going to presume that the people that we work with also are operating with the best of intentions. So we assume positive intent. Yep. Until we have a reason to believe there is not positive intent. And let's face it, you're gonna come across people in your life that have an agenda, and they will put that agenda above your agenda, they will put it above um, the company's mission, uh, above everything. Yeah. And so ultimately, um, we acknowledge these behaviors are occurring around us. They're occurring, um, you know, in 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 places where it is a setback for us. It uh, there's there's opportunities and times where you see a finger pointing occurring, and let's find blame and fault first. That's the most important thing. And as long as we're in the clear, we're good. We don't operate that way. So we own our failures. And let me tell you, we've had some pretty prolific failures uh, over the years. Uh, we've had um, storage arrays, technology go down in data centers that is critical to running our business. Uh, sometimes it's a technology failure, which there's not much you can do about those uh, technology fails, but oftentimes it's, it's a people and or process issue. But no matter what the issue is, we don't shy away from it. We don't cover it up. We own it. Um, you know, I, I saw something yesterday on LinkedIn. This was priceless. And it was from a guy that I've known for 20 years. He's a sales leader who's elevated up to a C-level over the years. And he said he, when he meets with his sales team and his support team, he teaches them to eat problems. And that was really profound to me. You have to eat problems, whether they're internal problems, whether they're customer problems. When you don't eat them and you bury them or you pretend they don't exist, they eat you, they consume you, they erode at your culture, they erode at your people, and you lose your good people and your great people because those people have zero tolerance for people that don't operate with integrity. And, and so for us, we focus on us, our part of our business. Are we perfect? We're not. 
but we strive each and every day to support the mission of our company, to support our clients and the communities we serve. And, and there is a special mindset there that we, we look for. The most rewarding aspect for me is when people from other parts of our business want to come and work in our business unit. Usually, technology people leave your business unit and go and work for parts of the business as their career evolves. But every now and again, we see people that have worked in other parts of our, our company and want to come and work with us. And a lot of times it's because they like the culture the subculture, if you will, that we've created within our business unit. I love that you finished on the subculture because that is one of the things that I have noticed. As organizations grow and scale, especially businesses that are highly acquisitive, you are going to have subcultures. And that's okay, yep. right? Because whenever I think back to you know my previous employer, we had a wireline business, we had a coil business, we had a cementing business. They all had their own subcultures. And what's so interesting about it is these guys would like live and breathe their former company. That's where their mindset was. And, they, and it was almost like competitive, well, we're better than them, we're better than them, look at our margins, look at our top line. There was always this back and forth. And some of that com competition is actually a good thing. Yeah. But what's interesting is we started doing leadership development where we would pull people from coil, from wireline, from cement, from tools, and drop them into the yeah. same leadership development cohort and they would start building relationships and recognizing, well, there's actually a lot more alignment here than I initially thought. Uh, sure. So a, a lot of, I think, our ability to navigate the cultural and subcultural aspects we're talking about are benefited if you've ever been engaged in significant M&A work. And, and so about, I don't know, eight years ago now, really, um, I worked for a big oil and gas company. Four months after I joined, they announced their intention to merge with another oil and gas company. And you might recall, this was back in an era where oil and gas was suffering. There was a lot of headwinds in the marketplace. Uh, and it was 05 and, I'm sorry, uh, 15 and 16. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, yep. so there was a lot of change and uh, uh, competitors were now coming together uh, just to survive. Um, and so, one of the hardest things that we had to deal with was blending of two very different cultures. And so you had essentially these two teams that were put in a room to figure it out. How do we bring these two companies together? And there were not just philosophical challenges, but there were cultural challenges. People that lived in another part of the world in the way they manage and operate is very different than the way we do here in the United States. And, and so it was really hard to break through. And, and then it was exacerbated by the fact that part of the leadership team from one side of the equation wasn't showing to meetings with regularly or consistency. So it's really hard to make decisions with your counterparts who aren't invested in, at the same de degree you are. Well, make no mistake, we ended up bringing these two teams together. And as you probably are aware, decisions get made at a very, very high level, and they get made almost from the very beginning. Everything else that happens several layers below oftentimes is just for show. Mm -hmm. and, and so I, I would submit to you that 
the boards of directors for these two publicly traded oil and gas companies knew they were blending these teams together and they also knew what that company was going to look like in the short term they also knew what that leadership team was going to look like so so the but, but what was happened is a ruse was created, at least this is the way I felt. And the ruse was, we're going to let you compete for these jobs. The reality was, it was already decided who was getting these jobs. And, and then what was happening is then the next layer down was decided. And so it was interesting because the culture we built before the M&A, we, um, we all wore shirts and ties. Uh, that was just, and we didn't have to wear a tie, but I wore a tie. And I knew that I had the support of my team when I showed up at seven in the morning for my staff meeting. And every single one of my directs was wearing a shirt and tie. Mm -hmm. And I looked at them, I go, wow. And, and the one guy that I told you I've known for 12 years, um, he, I didn't even know he owned a shirt and tie. He was sitting there at the table in a shirt and tie. I said, I don't know that I've ever seen you in a shirt and tie. He says, we're here to support you out. And that meant the world to me because he saw it was important to look the part. So, you know, you talk about looking the part. Yep. Well, the way this works out is several months later, it was very clear that my team and I were not part of the executive leadership team. And that was okay. What was not okay is how it was communicated and handled. And so I, I was bitter about it. I had energy towards it. So I stopped wearing my shirt and tie. In fact, I started showing up in jeans and a t-shirt. And the same guy that wore the shirt and tie, who I didn't think had one, comes into my office one day. And he says, Rob, what the hell's wrong with you? I said, what are you talking about? He said, you're dressed like you're going to a car uh, meet. And I said, I don't care anymore. He says, that's not you. You always care. He says, you're our leader. You don't have to wear your tie, but you can't wear a t-shirt because we, we need you. Even though we know you're leaving here, even though we know that what we had envisioned isn't going to happen, we still got to do our part. Mm -hmm. That was a sobering moment for me. I, I felt, my God, this guy is right. But he had courage to tell me, Rob, we expect more out of you. You should expect more out of yourself. And... It goes back to my saying, you can't control other people and sometimes even the, the uh, environment around you. What you can't control is how you act. So I always, from that time on, you know, I always try to act um, like the Rob people expect me to be. The, the, the human, the leader, and um, you know what? Some people will acknowledge and appreciate it, some won't. That's not my business, that's theirs. Man, you know, I, I've been a part of almost 50 acquisitions and integrations all in oil and gas. And a lot of these entrepreneurs are very headstrong. And a lot of the business leaders of the acquiring entity are even more so. Yeah. And so you see this, this clashing of egos that can just destroy the teams beneath them yeah. when you're trying to pull things together and I'm thinking about one integration specifically where it, it, it was just it would boggle my mind to see the the former CEO and then the the C-suite executive that was responsible for for that integration just butting heads, not agreeing. It's like, guys, let's just have a conversation here. Let's figure out what is the best solution for the business. And 
there were multiple instances where I had to get into a room and actually mediate the, mm. these two, you know, senior leaders just to have some sort of an outcome because what happens is the employees down below, yeah. they see it, they feel it, it creates uncertainty and concern for them and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond. And so, yes, out, uh, clashing heads is going to happen, but you can't let your teams see it. Right. You have to put a unified front and you go behind a closed door and you box, you do whatever you've got to do, but you cannot let the people on your team see that. But what's interesting is there is a delicate art and balance which feeds into we're humans first yeah. and leaders second. And so you have to be vulnerable so people see you're not just a, Rob's not just a machine. Right. He is a human. It, it's funny, uh, two things there that struck Accord. So when I first moved to Houston, there was another person uh, on my team, and that person is with me again today. Um, he's been with me three times as well. Um, he referred to me as the guy that's always positive, the eternal optimist uh -huh. that you mentioned earlier. He said, um, I just, we don't think you're a real human. And I said, what do you mean? He's, because you never see bad or challenges. I said, no, I see him. And and so he's just once we'd like to see you get upset, get angry. So it's really kind of funny. I, I pocketed that. You know, several weeks later, this challenging individual came into our, so we were in this, I called it, we called, used to call it the fishbowl. So we were in this enclosed room that was enclosed with these glass wall partitions. And we were all out in the open. And, um, you know, in a in a open uh, cube environment, and uh, this woman uh, walks in, just literally barges in, and demanded that we solve her problem. And so, you know, we have process for how you seek help. In fact, we had the equivalent of a genius bar that was literally outside that window. But that genius bar wasn't acceptable to her. She wanted mm. other people to drop what they were doing for her. And uh, I, I was just listening, watching, taking it in, and where she crossed the line was she berated one of our help desk people. And I stood up and I said to her, I called her by name and I said, we're here to help, but it's inappropriate and unacceptable, frankly, for you to come in here and treat people the way you're treating. That's not who we are as people. I said, no, you're gonna follow me, we're gonna walk out and we will solve this problem at the Genius Bar. And I went back and sat down at my, my desk mm -hmm. and I looked over at the person that gave me that feedback and I could see he took it all in. And so later, I knew that he and I had this bond and that mm -hmm. bond was hockey. Mm -hmm. And so I took him to a hockey game and we talked about that. And he brought it up. I didn't have to. This was where it really worked out well. He said, I, I want to say thank you to how you handled that situation a few weeks back. I said, which one? He says, you know, the one where so-and-so walked in and she was rude to us. Yeah, she was. And uh, I said, so did, did I seem like a real person? Did you see me get upset? And he said, I did. I said, we're all humans. I said, but there's a line. And she crossed the line, you know. She was not a good human. And look, I, I didn't hold that against her. In fact, I just wrote off. She was under a time delay. Pressure succumbed. She succumbed to the pressure, and she said some things 
acted in a way that maybe she did, she shouldn't have or, or wish she she hadn't. Who knows, right? But you know, it, again, I I think people see us in different lights, and you, you know, for me, I I want my people to see me as authentic. I want them to see me as genuine, um, caring, empathetic. But also, I I want them to know that if I have to deliver a harsh message, I will. And at that point, if you've established some rapport with people, they'll recognize that, okay, um, he has been there for us when we slipped and fell. He's helped to pick us up. But at the same time, I haven't been pulling my weight. And I owe that to myself and to our team and to our company. I, what he's telling me to do is step it up, and I need to step it up. So my my story of being uh, real and unleashing is uh, not quite as um, motivating as yours, but it was a lesson learned. So this was actually 12 years ago, I can vividly recall, because it's the one time that I, I'll say, lost it or snapped. <laughs> and unfortunately, I did it on my team. Mm. I was new to a leadership role. I had been an individual contributor up to that point in my career, and then all of a sudden I had a team of 20 people. And like, I didn't know anything about leadership. I thought it was just some HR touchy feely stuff. And we had, we had a sand outage that ended up being like, it was a whole big issue. And then I was running on no sleep at all and pulled the entire team together because we weren't, we weren't able to meet deadlines. I was just crushing myself, working crazy, insane hours and they weren't pulling their weight, right? And, you know, I can't blame them. I wasn't leading them. I was doling out tasks and they, sometimes they get done, sometimes they wouldn't. And something triggered me. I pulled my entire team into the big boardroom and just unloaded on them. And I could see as it was happening, I started to become more self-aware because I was looking at their faces and the fear in their eyes because they had never, ever seen that side of me. And I stopped and just walked out of the room. And then a, a good friend of mine, we grew up together, went to high school, college roommates, and like he's worked for me for many, many, many different companies. He came to me afterwards. He's like, mm, probably could have handled that better. You all right? And you know, it just, it hit me. Now it hit me for a number of reasons. One, before that point in time, I had had, I reported into a VP of finance who would rip me to shreds all of the time. And I promised myself that I would never become that person. And in the moment with no sleep, high stress, the entire company being down for three days, like I snapped and Mm -hmm. I triggered. And in that moment, I told myself, okay, now I've done it, never, ever, ever again. If I start feeling that amount of pressure, that Mm -hmm. amount of stress, I need to pull myself from the situation, be honest and transparent with my team and tell them, guys, I need a little bit of time. I need to work through this. I need to process it. And that's not always easy because as you're aware, in large publicly traded organizations, there is a lot of pressure at times. And we have to be self-aware enough to know, okay, this is not the time. I need to go do something else. It's funny you mentioned that. One of the things that I attribute to my success as a leader, and I'll tell you, I'm still a work in progress as a leader, and I think I always will be, um, is the time I spent umpiring baseball. So, you know, I umpired 
Um, oh man, I can only yeah. imagine. <laughs> so, 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 so think about it this way: when you're umpiring at the high school or even the college level to some degree, there's a handful of people watching the games. Yeah, parents get pretty spirited when when you make a call that goes against their their team and in particular their son or their daughter, but. When you move to the professional ranks, it's a business. It's no longer a game, it's a business. And so you have to maintain your composure. You have to um, know when to defuse something. Because think about baseball is one of the only sports where if you don't like the call the umpire makes as a manager, you can run out into the field and state your case and disrupt the whole flow of the, of the play. Um, and so as an umpire, you are dealing with conflict right there. It's in your face. And and, and when I say in your face, it, it could literally be no, what we used to call a brimmer, brim to brim of your ball cap to their ball cap. But there are times where you won't diffuse, you'll, ex, you'll accelerate, okay, for point, for purpose. But the, what I learned from the, that experience is at the professional level, there's tens of thousands of fans sometimes. There's TV. There's, so there's video, and, and I umpired back before social media exploded. Now it's even more challenging because you, you have a, a, a brimmer with a, a, someone on the ball field. It's on social media before it makes the, the ESPN Sports Center broadcast. The whole point, though, is you learn about composure. You learn about how you can handle uh, diffusing. Um, I'll leave you with this on the, on the umpire com, uh, comment. I was taught um, a simple process for handling conflict, and it, it, we, we knew it as LIPS, L-I-P-S. And so when a manager comes out to dispute a call, it's for four reasons. And you, as an umpire, have to identify which one of the four reasons it is. So the first one is legitimate. You missed something. They think you screwed something up, and yeah. they're bringing it to your attention. Mm -hmm. The next is intimidation. So if you think about this, you're a rookie umpire. The manager or coach has been doing this for decades, and he or she's going to try to pull your chain. They're going to see where your breaking points are. P is personal. You just don't like one another. Uh, and, and so they're going to come out and they're going to give you an earful and it, it's because it's you. Mm -hmm. That's it. And then the other, uh, the S is situational. Situational is this happened, this causing this to happen. As a result, this was the, how it played out. I use that today, not on a ball field, but yeah. in a place of business. There are people that have legitimate gripes with me and my team. Mm -hmm. And we have to own those eat those problems for breakfast. Yeah. There are, are people that want to intimidate us. They think they're smarter than us. They think that we don't know our, the business like they do. So they're trying to influence us by their role, by their title. Happens all the time. Mm -hmm. People want to jump the queue. They don't want to follow the defined process. They want you to create a separate process for them. There are going to be um, uh, personal situations you just don't like people that you work with. That's okay. You're yeah. not going to like everyone. You're not going to want to go and grab a coffee, go shoot around the golf with everyone you work with. And you don't have to. Mm -hmm. But you got to find common ground. you got to figure out that you're all part of this bigger bigger thing going on. And then the last is situational. You mentioned failed infrastructure component. That's the triggering event that caused you to lose it with mm -hmm. your people. Why? Because you, I, 
I would imagine you were feeling pressure because someone above you was coming to you asking you what in the heck is going on yep. and what, more importantly, what are you doing to resolve this and fix it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, whenever I think about, there, there's a number of people that I'll have conversations with and work with and they want to grow into a leadership role. And it's interesting because I'll, I'll usually one of my questions is why? And then a follow-up to it is, are you sure this is what you want? Because stepping into a leadership role is vastly different than being an individual contributor. <laughs> it's just, you think, oh, I want the title, I want the money that comes along with it. Well, there's a reason that the titles and money are what they are because yep. your decisions no longer only affect you, your decisions affect your team, your decisions affect the lives and families of the people on your team, and to a greater extent, the people in the business, especially mm -hmm. when you consider support functions and, and technology leaders or HR leaders. You got, like if you have a payroll issue, that affects employees' lives in a significant way. Yeah, I worked uh, early in my career in healthcare and I, I was the data center manager for one of the larger uh, healthcare entities in the state of Illinois. And uh, I took that job really seriously because worst case scenario, if a system that my team and I were responsible for went down, it could adversely affect the care of a patient. And mm -hmm. there's nothing more profound than death, right? Mm -hmm. So if that system was needed to um, provide care for a patient and it was unavailable or it was uh, spitting out uh, in, inaccurate data and that prompted a medical professional to either miss something or misunderstand or misdiagnose something and it adversely uh, affected the patient that's heavy okay it's real and it, it's interesting because I never forgot that well then fast forward I leave healthcare and I go into financial services and this was for a company that did high-frequency trading and I never in a million years thought I would ever find anything that was more valuable than human life, except I did, as crazy as this sounds. To a trader who gets paid millions of dollars to trade billions of dollars, money is more important because everything is such a time box for them. Yeah. And look, I, it's not our place to judge. You, you and I could say, oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, perhaps you're right. But to that individual mm -hmm. that makes their livelihood trading um, for a living, to your point, it affects their decisions. And those decisions are happening in nanoseconds, not minutes, mm -hmm. not even seconds. I'm talking nanoseconds. That's how fast the market shifts in financial services. That decision that they make, if it's a bad decision, affects themselves, their team, the clients, the company. We, we knew when I worked at the trading firm that our line of demarcation was 15 minutes. If we could not get a system back up in 15 minutes, the company could potentially be bankrupt. That's heavy. I mean, 15 minutes, that yeah. goes by quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is wild. But it brought it all in perspective because then later in my career, I ended up working for other industries and I, I worked for a tremendous leader, former Air Force um, officer. And he would always say to me, Rob, what we're doing is important, mm -hmm. it's meaningful, mm -hmm. but we're not saving lives here. And he would tell me, calm down, you know, because I was amped up coming out of financial services, yeah. pushing my people. So this is that situational awareness. You have to understand where you are. So I, every now and again, I spent a long time 
I end up umpiring a little league baseball game. And it's usually for one of my kids because um, the umpire didn't show. Yeah. And people ask me, do you approach the game differently uh, for a little league game than when, when you're working a, at a professional level? Yes, of course. You, that's a business. These are kids. Uh, that we're trying to teach them not fundamentals of baseball, but fundamentals of life. Yeah. Team, uh, uh, working as a team, sportsmanship, losing with grace, uh, winning in a way that shows dignity and honor. Um, yes, my, my approach is just to help these kids be better, better humans. Mm -hmm. When we get to the professional level, yes, my approach, my mindset's different. And I think that's the most important thing. You have to have situational awareness. Understand your surroundings, who's around you, who's looking, who's not. And, and that, will, that may alter the way you approach things. Now, <laughs> the flip side of that, is if you are true to yourself, you are you, no matter what the circumstances, good, bad, or somewhere in between. But you have to understand when you have to amp up and when mm -hmm. you need to tone it back. Yeah, so crucial. Well, Rob, thank you. Yeah, finally we did this. We finally How many years did it. We've been talking. I know about it's this? been way too long. We had camera issues and audio issues, but that's okay. We'll do another one. Have you come to the house in the studio, and we can really that'll be great. Dive into I'm it. I'm up but, for uh, it. And then we'll do it in the warmer months, so that I can see that car. Yes, I will get it out. Um, I was excited to do it. My wife was. I told her at dinner I was going to get the car out. Yeah. She says, "No, you're not." <laughs> and and I woke up this morning and I saw 36. Yeah. And I said, eh. "Yeah." So summer months, we'll summer do that. Months. We'll get uh, both the cars together, go for a little bit of a cruise or something like that. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. It's good seeing you.